Welcome back to Effort of Everything Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Kleep. And on today's episode, Gabe, Yanis, and I, we get back after it. Every week, we discuss different topics that you guys send in about training, about nutrition, and I love talking to Gabe. We riff a little bit about cold plunges and chest freezers, and then we get into the meat and potatoes of today's conversation, which is training duration, dabbling a little bit of jiu-jitsu, and we talk about what good meals look like, good meals look like throughout the duration of the day. I hope you enjoy his episodes with Gabe. You know, he has a wealth of information from training, nutrition, being on a farm out in Texas. He really can see things from a different perspective that I love listening to. And I like to bring from my background about all the different years we've been owning and operating gyms and having a wide variety of coaches that I've been exposed to. Before we get into the conversation, I want to remind you about our friends, our partners over at Merrick Health. My family and I, we put this off for a long time because getting blood work is kind of a pain in the butt, you know? You gotta go, you gotta go get it done, et cetera. Merrick makes it as easy as I've ever had it. But what they also do is that if you're gonna take the time to get blood work done, they make sure the blood panel is comprehensive enough to get all the information you need to make the appropriate decisions about where you need to go as far as you know lifestyle changes, et cetera. So if you've been on the fence about getting your blood work done, you wanna see underneath the hood, make sure to check out our friends over at Merrick Health and use the code EOE for 10% off your first panel. All of that is going to be in the podcast show notes in regards to the actual panel that myself, my wife, and our team at NC Fit have utilized through Merrick Health. Before we get into the episode, I want to always remind you, hit Gabe and I up on Instagram. Let us know what you're thinking about these topics. Let us know what is on your mind. Oftentimes in the stories, we put up a question tab. Leave your questions there so we can get into it on our next podcast. Keep getting after it in the gym. Keep getting after it outside the gym. And let's dive into a great episode with Gabe Yon. Then there's this one. Oh, they're so good. They're so Give me good. a few more. I just started recording because you're saying there's Jasonisms. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> there's. I'm gonna write the book on translating Jasonisms. One of them is not a big deal. Means that it's kind of a big deal, but he doesn't want to admit it's a big deal. Then there's also the one that you just said, which is I just find this interesting. Is like I told you so. Whenever <laughs> something happens, and he's like, I just you know I just find this interesting. It's like hey, I I told you. Ah, uh, yeah, I don't know if it was like years ago. I think there might have been a video. Like, um, I actually got to look it up now on YouTube. Like Jasonisms. I, I don't know. I don't remember when we did it, but we did something like that. Um, oh man, it was like in the gym. Uh, well, dude, I just got out of. Um, you know, I, I can't even really call. It, I'm I'm gonna call it the cold plunge, but I think compared to you, it's like a a, a cold bath, basically. Well <laughs> I mean, on, on that note though, I know I give you a hard time, but that's just me giving you a hard time. I was just listening to, I'm like, I'm almost done with it. It's three hours. Really good. Um, I, I love Andrew Huberman. I think he's great. He, he just does such a good job at like breaking down what, you know, is, is really complicated science and he's, he's on Rogan. Um, and they talk about pretty much anything and everything, but he was just talking about the cold plunge and like really diving into the science of it. And a big thing is that it's, really just something that's uncomfortable. And that's going to vary from person to person. There's no sliding scale of like, hey, you're getting more benefits or you're tougher if your cold plunge is in the 30s. He actually keeps him, his at 45, um, which I know is closer to where you keep it. And he's just like, you know, that to me is is really uncomfortable. Like I want to get out, but it's safe. And that's really all that matters. So I know I give you a hard time, but dude, if it's not comfortable for you to get in there that's all that matters and for yeah. people out there that want to try it you know and and want to start with just turning the shower to as cold as it gets you know if that's cold enough that you're like i really want to get out of here 
but you're able to kind of like breathe through it, there are some real benefits there. Like you don't need a fancy cold plunge. And obviously we love the cold plunge. If, if you're going to go for something that is going to get the job done, that's what we recommend. But, you know, it is a big investment. So if you want to start with just a shower, there's so much positive that can come out of just, you know, one minute at the end of your shower, putting that thing to as cold as it gets. Yeah. <clears throat> this is fresh on my mind because right before we started recording, not only was I in the cold plunge, but I also saw they released a video that we did with Ava like weeks and weeks and weeks ago. And they just released it. It was cool because Ava and I, you know, we work out in the garage, we get in the cold plunge and we were just basically documenting it. And um, they just released it. And so, yeah, if you guys haven't checked out, you know, the company, the cold plunge, I think does an incredible job. Um, I think we actually, we have something, you know, I'll put it in the podcast show notes. I think we get, I think people get $150 off or a hundred dollars off. I'll, I'll, I'll double check. It's in the podcast show notes for a, a discount with them. If you want to get one, the same one that I have, but if you don't want to go the cold plunge route, Gabe actually, um, he made from a reach in freezer, right? So your, that's what your style was. And the cost is a little bit less, obviously a lot less, but you know, I think each person have to decide what they want to do because yours probably all in was like what, 800 bucks, give or take. Yeah. And it's actually, I've been looking because I think we might have to get another um, chest cooler for all the meat that we have. And the price has actually gone up. So of course. chest coolers are getting expensive. Everything's getting expensive, but appliances are. So I think it might be a little bit more now, but yeah, when I did it, it was probably all in 700 bucks. The, the big advantage to the cold plunge from the company is that it circulates and cleans the water for you and cools it. So you don't have to worry about like for mine, depending on how much I'm using it and how good I am about like hosing off or taking a quick shower before getting in there. So I'm not like sweaty and all like, you know, your body oils are in it. Um, I can usually get away with like a month uh, before I have to like empty it out completely, hose it down, clean it and put fresh water in. And then the annoying part is when you put the fresh water in, it probably takes three days oh. to, cool, to cool it down. Yeah. It's not quick. Um, so that's obviously the, the, the pros and cons of, you know, spending, you know, for an actual cold plunge, hey, this is the purpose and taking a, a chest freezer and kind of um, making it. But I will say it, it might sound complicated. Like I know there's a lot of people out there that like DIY isn't your thing. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's pretty simple. All you have to do really is um, seal the edges with like um, food grade sealant. Um, which, you know, is, is simple enough and by a thermostat. So something that's actually going to turn on and off the, the actual, um, chest freezer so that the water inside never actually freezes. Because if you were to just plug a chest freezer, fill it up with water and just leave it there, um, eventually it's just going to become a block of ice, which obviously is not what you want. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not to, uh, you know, Gabe and I, we don't specifically plan out. We do have questions we want to get to, but we don't specifically plan out these conversations. We just, this was happened to be on my mind, but I think the big difference, yes, the chest freezer. So the way I've seen it done really well is you have like that regular that turns on and off to regulate the temperature. I've also seen it with like a, um, a basic filtration system that you can like throw in there and like a, uh, you know, some chemicals and whatnot, but you're right. Like if you're not a do it yourself guy, like I'm not, I'm not that guy. Um, I'd be pretty nervous, you know, sealing it myself. Uh, and then, and then basically you have to make sure to unplug it before you get in. So there is some like factors for a reach in freezer and turning that into a cold plunge. There's also factors from a, a cold shower perspective that dude, frankly, for me, a cold shower is actually the toughest out of them all. Um, because it's so easy just to kind of back up and get out. 
Whereas I do think the guys over at the cold plunge, yes, the cost a little bit more. So let's just say your unit is hypothetically now is about a thousand bucks. Their unit is about the one that I would buy. If I, if I was buying a new one, I would get the XL and just the cold. I wouldn't get the cold hot. I think the cold is the way to go. And they're about, you know, five to seven grand. So they are, you know, uh, five to seven times the cost of a reach in. But I do think that the, the, the constant filtration, the easy use, uh, the low electricity, like there's so many benefits to it and it's beautiful. I mean, it's like a work of art in the, in outdoors. I, I would highly recommend the cold plunge, but if you don't have those finances, I think the reach in is a good option as well. Yeah, it's a cool unit. I've, I've, um, I haven't seen one or been in one, but obviously I've seen the videos you posted. Um, and it's like, I would love to get one one day. And a big reason why I went the, uh, and this is very unique to the kind of crazy life that I live, but, um, a, a reason that we got the chest and freezer too is like, you know, at any given point, we might just need to pour the water out of it and stuff it full of, you know, fr fresh frozen pork. So, chest freezer is just something that I, I needed anyway. So it's just one of those things that, Hey, if I'm not using it, if it's too much of a pain in the butt, like this is something that we absolutely need on the farm. Um, so it's just kind of an easy decision for me to go that route. Yeah. I mean, I might actually have to buy a chest freezer. Um, I'm supposed to go in October, November, um, out for a first, uh, elk hunt with Tim Kennedy and, um, Barry from, um, he's the founder of, or the CEO of Tupu. And they're saying with this elk, I mean, I've never experienced this. It's never, I've never been that guy. Um, but you get hundreds of pounds of elk and, um, you know, that could be food that we can keep in the freezer here and give to our friends and family and, and eat for, for many, many months, but I don't have a reach in freezer. So something I'm going to have to look into. Dude, that's awesome. I, I love that you're doing that. And definitely something we can talk about here. Um, when you, when you actually end up going last year, I got my permit and, you know, had pretty much everything. Cause in, in Texas, you can hunt right on your land if you have five or more acres and we, we live on 10. So all of my neighbors, you know, will once come, come deer season, will get their allotment of deer and fill up their freezers. And, you know, it's hunting is one of those interesting things that, the more I've looked into it, you know, it, it gets a really bad rap because you know, people go out there and it's like, well, you know, you killed an animal and there's like a picture next to a deer. But what a lot of people don't understand is that if you're going out there and hunting deer specifically and in Texas, which I've done a little bit of research, like, you know, the, the way they give out these tags for the allotment of deer is like, it's a very important piece of keeping balance in the ecosystem. Like they're, they're carefully tracking like, Hey, this is amount of deer that just need to be taken care of every year so that they don't overpopulate and cause all sorts of problems for a lot of the big cities out here. You know, like it would be a big problem for, you know, Austin and San Antonio in these bigger seasons if deer populations weren't, you know, kept in some type of control. Um, and all the money that goes into like paying for these tags and a lot of the things that you need to buy. Like, I didn't know that, you know, a big percentage of the taxes from ammo go to conservation. Um, and, you know, all of the money that like maintains a lot of the federal lands and the parks and all of that stuff, all of that is paid by expenses that go from wildlife and hunting. So there's a lot more that goes into it than, hey, just you're taking the life of this animal. And when it comes to hunting elk and deer specifically, like all of my neighbors here doing how I'd like to this year, like my goal is to then have food to feed, you know, my family and super nutritious food that is so much more 
humane and healthy than going to the supermarket and buying some bacon or, or, or buying some, some burgers, which everyone is okay with doing. But for some reason there, there's this like, you know, taboo behind like you being the one that took the life of this, you know, this deer to, to, to feed your family. It's interesting. Yeah. It, it's an interesting dynamic. And, you know, I'm going to dive into it more over the next couple of months. You know, I, um, the, the, you know, we've talked about this before, but Caden has a huge interest in seeing where his food comes from, learning That's how awesome. to process it. Yeah. Like, and part of me feels the same way as you, like there's a taboo behind it. I'm like, ah, you know, but then the other part of me agrees with everything you just said, right? Like, like uh, hunters, some of them are probably the most uh, aware of conservation, supporting this, this ecosystem. And they're tr what's interesting to me is that there's a lot of people, including myself, who may frown upon hunting back in the day, right? Now that I've become more aware, I think I have a different perspective on it. But if you're prepared to go and eat different types of meats, like how do you think that process occurred? And if you're gonna, if you're going to eat the meat, for example, Caden, he wants to know, like, well, how do I do this in the most humane, best way? And what does that process even look like? And I, um, I was never interested in it, but he is. And so because he's interested in it, I want to explore it. And I figure who better to explore with than people that are experts in that craft and really learn the right way. And if you are going to take an animal's life, like making sure that you're getting every single piece of meat out of it, you're, you're doing everything as humanely as possible is, is the goal, especially considering what Kaden is interested in. So that's kind of where I'm at on the journey. Um, but I understand a lot of people have strong views on it. I guess where I struggle with is like, it's okay to have strong views on it, but I mean, to be naive to think where our food comes from, I think is, I, I think it is important to show people like this primitive skill of hunting. And um, especially if your child has an interest in it, like mine does, you know, for the record, I've never, never gone big game hunting. I've never done any of that stuff in my life. So, you know, I'm only exploring because Caden's interested in it. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And this is a rabbit hole, man. I can go. Oh, it's a huge rabbit hole. I, I can go super deep down this rabbit hole, but um, it's really cool you're going on that trip. I can't wait to hear about it. Yeah, man. I, uh, where are you, where I, are you going? Um, somewhere in Texas. I don't know. Oh, it's I, in Texas? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll keep you posted on, on where we're going. Um, I know people go to Colorado and, and all sorts of other different places for elk especially. Um, so I was just wondering where, where you were going. Yeah. I mean, I'll be competing at, um, I, I haven't gotten the official invite yet, but I'm 99.9% .9 sure <laughs> I'll be competing at the Rogue Invitational Legends competition. And then I'm actually just going to end up staying out there, I think, and just staying and then, and then going, um, you know, to experience the elk hunt. So I'll have to keep you apprised of that. That's but awesome. I, I did want to dive into, you know, we've been on social media on my channel in particular, uh, Jason Cleep on Instagram. We've been putting up these little like stickers for questions people have. And in particular, we've been working with nutrition questions, uh, you know, more, more towards you and training questions more towards me. And, and, and one of the questions that we got uh, this week, which I thought was a good question. Um, and we'll kind of start here is that this gentleman, he says, I typically start off the morning doing cardio and uh, lifting fasted. Um, which is very similar for me. I do a lot of um, cardio in particular in the morning fasted. I don't generally lift in the morning. I don't know why, but anyways, so this gentleman says, I typically do cardio and lifting fasted. What's a good, what are good meals for the rest of the day? So I guess the question for you would be if someone's wake up in the morning, 
maybe, you know, typical situation like for me is cup of coffee, cardio. Well, in this case, this person does cup of coffee or whatever, cardio and lifting, what should they be eating for the rest of the day? Let's start there, huh? Yeah, I mean, I've I've played around with, um, you know, like full-blown intermittent fasting. I've done like some longer, you know, I, I did, I only did this once, but I, me and Ariel both have actually done like a full three-day fast. So super familiar, at least anecdotally with, you know, starting off the day with not really eating anything, training, waiting till later in the day. And I know this is kind of an unsatisfying answer, but it always comes down to like, it, it just depends on your goals, right? Like if you're trying to build muscle, it's definitely not the best idea for you to be doing fasted training. Now, if you're just trying to maintain and feel great and you're working out super early in the morning, I get it. And that might work for you and you don't want to train on a full stomach, but that's kind of just the things you have to keep in mind that, you know, like if you're trying to get stronger, you probably want to fuel up before there's workouts or you're just not going to get the best of it. Even if that means like, you know, carb loading a little bit at night before you go to bed so that you can kind of fast in the morning. Now, usually when people ask questions about like, you know, hey, I'm fasting, I'm doing fasted cardio, fasted stuff, they're usually trying to lose weight or burn fat. So if that's kind of where this question is coming from, I think that, you know, as long as you don't feel that your workouts are suffering, great. And then to get to the second part of the question, like what meals to eat for the rest of the day, you know, there's still something to be said about wanting to get both carbs and protein, especially close to after you work out. Now, one thing that I've read a lot about recently, and I've seen like this quote unquote myth get busted is, and I don't know if you remember this back from like your Globo gym days, but the anabolic window of like, Hey, you have 30 minutes yeah. after you're done working out, right? Like yeah. you got to get, you'd have people protein. sprinting upstairs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Upstairs to get their protein <laughs> shaking. I'm like, all right, bro. All right, all right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, if you go past 30 minutes, like the, the window shuts and like, you might as well have not worked out. Like that is uh, apparently, according to like a lot of the science or a lot of the smarter people than me that I follow, complete like hogwash. Like, is there a period after working out where, you know, you can stimulate muscle protein synthesis a little bit more than other times? Yes, but it's nowhere near as short as 30 minutes. Um, some people say it's like more close to like two hours to three hours. So basically all that means is definitely prioritizing getting enough protein the rest of the day, especially if you're skipping on breakfast um, and doing your first workout fasting, fasted, and really making sure that you're getting a, a high protein meal, the closest one after your workout, even though it definitely doesn't need to be like immediately, immediately after your workout. I, I can't remember the exact statistic, but I want to say that after a workout, I think your body, what, because you know, you back in my conventional gym days, you're totally right. You'd have people and there'd be like these, um, like a RTD ready to drink. Yeah. RTD like, um, protein shakes and they'd have, you know, 50 grams of protein, 70 grams of protein, 30 grams of protein. And I remember reading a few different places that your body can only absorb so many grams of protein in a given time. Do you, do you know that off the top of your head? Yeah. So this was another, um, like, myth? Is this another MythBuster or what? Yeah, yeah. So Lane Norton is a really good follow for a lot of this stuff. I get a lot of this stuff from him because he does a really good job like diving into like, hey, this has been a belief and here's why the science says that that's not necessarily the case. And there definitely isn't a cap of like, hey, you can only absorb, quote unquote, this many grams of protein in any given time. And a really good way of think of, 
thinking about why is because, you know, different protein sources are just going to digest differently, right? Like if I have a protein shake right after working out and that has 30 grams of protein already, and then I shortly after that have some chicken breast or some fish, and that's another 30 grams of protein. Yes, I just ate 60 grams of protein at that one time, but you have to understand that the shake is going to break down and get into my system a lot quicker than the slowly, more slower breaking down um, animal protein. So it's not like, you know, protein goes down the hatch in your mouth and then it's all of a sudden in your stomach. And then, you know, there's like a 30 gram hole and whatever goes through <laughs> that hole goes through right. and then the rest doesn't like that's such a silly oversimplified way of thinking about it. Now, is there a point where, you know, you're, you're definitely just putting way too much in the system and it's going to stress your digestive system more than benefit it? Sure. But to say that like, Hey, 30 grams is this boundary is, a little oversimplified. Um, and if anything, I, I think that people are under consuming protein a little bit as opposed to over consuming. So I would always shy away from giving people like, a, oh, make sure you don't have more than this because it means that your body isn't going to be able to, to absorb it because I think it's already something people aren't getting enough of. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, back at the, man, you just brought me back to my, my gym days. You know, I used, when I, when I first started, First job I ever had, or actually second job. I worked at a community center in a work program when I was 14 during the summer. And that was pretty cool because at the time they had this pot of coffee and they used to have like those non-dairy creamers, like the powder. And man, I would drink coffee, non-dairy creamer and sugar all day. I'd be on a caffeine sugar high at 14 um, at, this, at this community center. But anyways, my next job was working the front desk at a, at a health club, which I ended up being at for the next, you know, X amount of years before opening the gym. And you'd see people really dedicated to that window that you were talking about. And I think you, you, you spoke about it well, where it's like, yeah, there might be a little bit better of a window, but you know, it's not, it's not like 15 minutes, like, bro. Okay. Um, dude, so I, I did want to, um, I did want to ask you, you, know, we had a question come through for me and I, I guess, you know, it also, be curious your thoughts here. Um, for how much durate, how much duration do you train daily? Um, I think it's a good question. Uh, we've talked about things like this before, but um, you know, my my training kind of goes in ebbs and flows a little bit, but I, I guess not really. Actually, I shouldn't say that. I am in the gym every day at our gyms, and in general, I jump in the class pretty much every day I'm in the gym. Now, I'll give you an example of how some things kind of skew with my training duration. So like yesterday, I was filming at the gym and I'm walking, I've, I finished filming and I walk through the class and they're about to get ready for their workout. And the energy was right. And I was like, damn, I got to jump in this. And so then sometimes I just jump in last minute, right before the workout. And it's not something I love doing because I don't want to disrespect the coach or the class. But at the same time, members have a tendency to like it when I jump in the class. Coaches don't seem to worry about it. And if I was doing something else in the gym, it wasn't like I just showed up late. It's how I had other obligations, but I'm walking through. The vibes are right. What's up, guys? Someone says, oh, you should jump in. I'm like, ah, all right. I'm that guy who just wants to jump in. So yesterday, as an example, um, you know, I jumped into class, but that was only, you know, the, the workout itself took 22 minutes. And, you know, I jumped in maybe three minutes before that. So the duration of training there was probably about 30 minutes. And then I did something else in the morning. 
So there's some days that go like that. There's some days where I take the full class, which is an hour. And there's some days where I take a full class and also do jujitsu. So for example, this morning, I am, uh, you and I, we're connecting here. It's like 8 a.m. on the West Coast. Um, I will then, uh, I, I'm going to go test a workout that's coming up for a mid-year mini comp that's coming up actually tomorrow. And then after doing that workout, I'll also attend jujitsu. So total training time today will be somewhere between 90 minutes to two hours tops. Um, in general, I'd say my, tr my total training time on a daily basis in general is I'd say 90 minutes between stuff that I do in the garage with my daughter, jujitsu, or our brick and mortar uh, classes. And that is what I have found works well for me with my schedule. That's also what I found works well with like my body. And it also works well with filming and content. Because a lot of the times what I'm doing is I'll be doing these workouts and then I just have somebody real quickly film me and I could then use that for content for NC Fit. It's super authentic, super genuine. We don't, we don't fabricate anything, but I actually feel like I'm kind of getting work done at the same time I'm getting my training in, which doesn't make me feel as bad for doing another 30, 90 minute session. Yeah. If you ever, if you ever want to get Jason really, really frustrated, have him like pretend to work out for content and <laughs> that'll, that'll do the job. For us, yeah. whenever you see a video of Jason working out, it's because he's literally mid-workout. It, it, yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't work. Hey, Jason, do a couple kettlebell swings like you're in the middle of workout. It's not, it's not going to work. Well, it's just because, I, I mean, I feel like people can pick up on it. Maybe I'm wrong, but I just feel like it's all about just being genuine. And I, I like being genuine. I like the content for me, for those people who follow me on social media, that just see me like literally working out the class. Like there's, I'm literally in a class working out. And we get a couple quick clips. I also try and be respectful of not getting other people in the videos as much just because, you know, they might not want to be on a video or whatever. We try and make sure that we're respectful. But oftentimes I work out with similar class times and they know that I'm just going to have the person at the front desk real quickly, throw on their iPhone, get a little content. And that makes me feel like I'm genuinely just sharing what I do on a daily basis. And I'd like to do a little bit more of that with jujitsu. It's just, it's tough in jujitsu because although we get a lot of questions about jujitsu and I love jujitsu, it's tough to film rolling sessions because, um, because it is so personal, you don't want to put people on blast. That's something I've struggled with because I want to share my jujitsu journey, but I also don't want to be the guy that's filming a jujitsu session. And then all of a sudden I put a piece out online and someone's like, dude, like what the hell? Like you're making me look bad. I'm getting smashed or whatever. It's, it's just different in jiu-jitsu than it is, you know, in our gyms. Yeah. My training duration right now, because I know a, a few weeks back or maybe a couple months back, I was, I was literally just training three times a week and there were longer sessions, like 90 minutes, maybe even a little bit more, but I liked having just three training days because then that meant that four days I'm like, I'm not going to the gym. It just gave me a lot of time. Um, now I've kind of shifted a little bit. I'm doing five days a week anywhere from 60 to 75 minutes um, seems to be a, a, a pretty good balance for me um, and kind of, you know, in, in specific to where my goals are, the sessions are long enough that I feel like I'm getting really good work in and two rest days a week tends to be, be pretty good. And I'm, I'm pretty active otherwise. I mean, obviously we have, you know, stuff we have to do every morning and every afternoon, which honestly isn't crazy. Like, I don't want people to think that I'm like, you know, running around outside for an hour, but you know, you're carrying buckets here and there. You're doing a little bit. I would say it's like 30 to 40 minutes of like, you know, what would be the equivalent of, of, you know, walking outside, you know, doing some, some moderate movement. Um, 
So that's kind of my duration now. But I think an, an interesting thing that we mentioned on a separate episode that I would just kind of, I think is worth inputting to this conversation and this question is, you know, and I think we talked about it specifically to, to putting on muscle, but I think it really applies to fitness in general is that people, and I, I even said it when we recorded earlier this week, you know, people underestimate how much it takes to add new muscle and more fitness, let's even say, um, but, uh, you know, overestimate how much it takes to maintain. And I think that, you know, for whoever was asking the question, if you're literally just trying to like, hey, I want to leave freely and fully outside the gym, just want to feel good, not feel beat up, high energy, but maintain health. You know, I think that don't you don't have to worry about doing too much, right? Like I think three to four workouts a day, ideally NC Fit workouts, because we put out great programming. Hey, three but, to four workouts a week, a day. A week, a a week, week. Hey, you're you're badass if you're every day. A week, you know, and just making sure that the other days that you're not working out, you're also not just you know sitting on the couch all day, but you're being somewhat active. I think it's really all people need. Um, and I think where a lot of people get caught up is that they have this goal of, hey, I'm just trying to feel good and look good. And they smash themselves in the gym, you know, six times a week. And then even on the seventh day, they're like, well, it's active recovery. So I'm going to do like an hour on the rower. I know I used to be like that. Um, so I think that, you know, it's it's important for people to keep in mind that for most goals and just feeling good, you're probably doing enough for most people that I think are like listening to this podcast specifically. Obviously there's a lot of people um, in, in the U S and, and, you know, in the world in general, that can use a little bit more activity, but chances are if you're listening to, you know, Jason and me on the effort over everything podcast, you know, I think that people more times than not feel like they need to do more, like they'll get more results. Hey, I'll feel better. I'll lose more weight, whatever. Um, but might not be prioritizing the other things that are equally, if not more important than just, you know, how long am I spending in the gym and how many days am I going in? Are you sleeping? Are you eating enough? Are you eating high quality food? So on and so forth. Like that's where I think a lot of the focus should be instead of, Hey, you know, I missed my sixth session at the, at the gym this week. Um, that's going to hurt my goals. Yeah. I mean, to, to be fair, like I probably train, I'd say like, we've talked about this before, I'm, I'm, I probably do, you know, at least I probably do like six days a week and I, I, I'm probably on the, the greater end of, of volume of training, but I've also been doing it for, you know, 15 years and it's what I enjoy doing. Um, one other thing that to know about training duration is also, um, your goals of skill specifics. So I, I did, I did want to mention this. So yesterday I'm in the gym. And one of our coaches, her name's Margot. She was working on her handstand walking. I was just walking by and she's like, Hey, can you, can you, um, you want to, you want to, you want to walk? I was like, whatever. I was like, sure. No warm up, no nothing, nothing. I just walk on my hands down the, down the, down the floor of the gym. And it was cool for me. There were some numbers there. It made me feel like whatever, but it was not what it was, was I said, Hey, did that surprise you that I could do that? And she's like, no, she's like, I would actually be surprised if you couldn't do that. She's like, you've spent a decade plus training for the CrossFit Games. You should be able to do that. And I was like, yeah. And it came from exposure and duration at these particular skills, whether it's handstands, uh, muscle-ups, whatever you want to get good at as far as like complex skills, you need to expose yourself for durations of time. So one thing to note when it comes to training duration 
is that if you do have goals and aspirations of learning new skills in particular, you might need to dedicate more time than just someone who wants to get in a good fitness workout. And that also goes for jujitsu. So for example, if you want to get better at walking on your hands or double unders or any complex skill, you have to spend, you know, many minutes uh, a week, a month, a year to develop those skills. And they're not necessarily exhausting on you. They're not necessarily fatiguing, but they're definitely allocated times where you say, hey, for the next 30 minutes, I'm going to work on my rope climb. I'm going to work on my this. Because if you ever want to develop any competency anywhere, you have to develop, uh, you have to put in time for there. And that same thing goes for jiu-jitsu. And that's, that's one of the things that does take up more of my time is that if I want to try and win Master Worlds, if I want to try and be good at jiu-jitsu, the challenge is I can't just go in there and do aggressive rolls for 15, 20 minutes and leave. I need to work the skills and connect the brain with the body. And so that does start to push out your duration, um, which is a factor to take into consideration if you're looking to learn new skills, is that your duration of training will increase, but not your necessarily duration of like high intensity training. It's more your low intensity training that goes up. So just want to acknowledge that for anybody who's trying to learn new skills, make sure you have the time to allocate to really get after it. Otherwise, you're just going to kind of feel like you're on this hamster wheel and you're never going to see progress. You need to expose yourself every single day for a few minutes and to see results. You know, and I think that the other thing that I start thinking about too, when it comes to duration of training is, you know, there is ideal ways to work out for certain goals. But I think that it's also important to balance the fact that like, you know, I don't think most people have 90 minutes a day to train. Like we all have different, different stuff going on, right? Like we have responsibilities, we have kids, we have, you know, spouses that want to spend time with us, whatever it is, you know, I think it's very few people out there that have the, the, the kind of freedom to, you know, spend as much time as they want in the gym. And I think that that's where, I mean, obviously the type of training that we do, it's very effective, right? Because in an hour you're hitting so many different things that you need for longevity and this idea of living freely and fully outside the gym. Like you're getting your strength portion in. You're also getting, you're getting a warm up in, right? Like you're getting a warm up in that prepares your body so that you're less injury prone and you're kind of primed to get the best out of what's going to come next. Then you're doing a strength portion that's going to help with, you know, muscle mass and bone density and being able to, you know, create a hedge so that you can, you know, do a squat, which is a very functional movement and pick something up off the floor for years to come. And then you're doing a workout that's going to be really good for your metabolic health, cardiovascular system, so on and so forth. And I think that, you know, the efficiency there is that if you're just going to the gym and you're kind of left to your devices to try and hit all those different points without direction and a coach and structure, you can easily spend 90 minutes to two hours at the gym. Um, or you just don't get all those things done, right? Or you do just have an hour to go to the gym, but all you do is a strength piece or all you do is a conditioning piece and you don't get all the value that you would if you have a coach and the structure of a program, not just a program, but also a class that you can go to, like we offer at the Bay Area that'll lead you from minute zero to minute 60 and make sure that you hit all your bases and you hit all your bases safely and effectively. Yeah, I mean, starting a clock is a great way to do this because it holds you accountable to staying on that timeline. You know, that's the thing I think a lot about with jujitsu, though. Um, you know, you know, I love talking about jujitsu and training, but is that most jujitsu classes are ninety minutes. Some of them even go as long as two hours. And the reason why they're ninety minutes is because traditionally it's like a warm up, 
It's a bunch of skill work and then it's sparring at the end. And I do think that is a factor in jiu-jitsu that does hold it back from becoming even more and more mainstream is because there is this time commitment associated with it because it takes so long to develop the skills. And um, I, I just, I wonder what that's going to look like in the future. I wonder if over time as, as jiu-jitsu, because I, I think it's seeing a lot of growth right now, I wonder if there'll be a model where a coach comes out with it, where it's like in and out in an hour, where you get you get your warm up, your your movement, and then you're sparring for 15, 20 minutes in an hour. Typically, a lot of people are starting to see that transfer over to 90 minutes, which for a lot of people, it's hard to schedule that in for their day. So I wonder where the industry of jujitsu will go, because I know that for us, at least in the CrossFit space, you know, I think the hour was like the benchmark that people are thinking about in their head, whether it's Orange Theory, F45, CrossFit, it's an hour. Whereas in jujitsu, and I, you know, I imagine other martial arts as well, it transfers further because there's these other skills, you know, like th that you're really trying to develop. So I, I wonder who's going to kind of, I wonder what's going to happen with that. I I'm excited to watch jujitsu grow because um, there is so many skills to learn, but maybe people are going to limit what they teach on that day and spend more time sparring and warming up so that people also feel like they're getting in that activity and they're learning and they're coming in the next day, the next day consolidating it down but we will see yeah i mean ever since i did the sheepdog course i mean i told you i i looked for a couple gyms around me like i i definitely got the itch to like hey is this something that you know i might want to incorporate and it, it might still be something down the line i'm still as much as i give you a hard time about it i'm definitely interested and i see a lot of value in it um both you know the skill and how it applies to life and also just learning something something new but Dude, I can't imagine right now having to commute to a place to take a class that was over an hour and then commute back. Like it just doesn't, it, 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 it wouldn't work for me right now. Um, and, you know, I'm super fortunate because I'm a five minute walk from the gym that we have in my in-laws barn. Um, and it's awesome. And it has everything I need in big part, thanks to NC Fit. Um, but man, like I can't even imagine having to commute to a gym to do that if that was like a, a 15 or 20 minute commute because the beauty of being here too is that like you know if something happens or i have to like you know the dogs are chasing a, a chicken or something like i'm here you know yeah, yeah um so i can see how it's super challenging for people to commit to i mean a 90 minute class that's that's crazy um yeah. and even like an hour class multiple times a week like like we offer like it's it's tough man yeah. I mean, it, it becomes part of your routine. Like, so for me, you know, we have different gyms that are different durations. I actually like, I mean, well, I love going to our gyms. I love it. I, I love being around our members. I love being around our coaches, but I love being in the class environment that inspires me. So like, there's a ton of pros to being at the garage, right? And it's a convenience factor like you're talking about, but there's also a ton of pros to like, you know, setting some music, being in the car, 10, 15 minutes, putting yourself in the right headspace, going into an environment, getting after it, and then leaving. Um, I get a lot of value from that as well. You know, it's sure. funny when I, when I would coach all the time, you know, I still coach probably on a, like once a week, but when I was coaching all the time, I used to, um, we opened a location in San Francisco with, uh, the Bay club. You rem you remember, I, th I think you, rem you remember that. That, one. Was, that was before me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We had a location in San Francisco. And I remember for a while, I was commuting up there for 5 a.m. classes because I really wanted to be present at this gym as we launched it. And at first, man, I looked at this commute as like a, I was like, fuck, 
Like I got to, I got to like, dude, I was waking up like at three 30 to get there and blah, blah. I'd look at it as a negative. And then all of a sudden I'd realize like when I started the commute, I'd be in like a certain mood. By the time I got to the gym, I had an hour, like that's a pretty long commute. It was like an hour and 10 minutes. I was already a cup of coffee deep. I had been, you know, listening to either a podcast or music, getting my mind right. And I would really go into that gym and feel like I was ready to put on the best class possible. And it started to be like this kind of thing where I actually enjoyed that little commute because it got my mind right for coaching. I was able to get prepared for it. So anyways, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is a long-winded way of saying like, depending on what you have to get done and what your options are, you can find a way to make it positive if you want to. Um, I, I personally enjoy the class environment, but I understand that it's not for everybody all the time. But if you can make it a couple of days, like, dude, it's the energy's just fire. I can't wait for you to come out here next month and jump in. Dude, I miss the class. I, I 100% miss the class environment. It just, you know, it's one of those things where I, I don't miss it enough for the convenience. And obviously, you know, like if there was an NC Fit gym around, it'd be a no brainer. And when we first moved, we checked out the two local gyms. Um, and there's one aftermath strength, give them a, a, a shout out here that my parents go to and that my sister coaches at. It's a great gym, great community. Um, it's a little far and, and just the times that they have class because, you know, I do live in a relatively small town. So it's not like there are classes all the time. It just doesn't work out this second. But um, no, I definitely miss it. And, and I love jumping back into class when I'm, I'm visiting NC Fit and throwing down. It's fun. Yeah, dude. Well, we got a lot to unpack. We got a lot to keep getting after. Each week, we'll just kind of be hitting a couple of questions, talk about what's on our mind. Um, I enjoy chatting about these things. Uh, you know, <laughs> the, the hunting one's interesting. We'll have, to, we'll have to keep positioning it. You know, we'll have to, you know what we'll need to do? We'll bring, bring somebody on the podcast who's like a really like phenomenal hunter. Um, Let's do that. Whether I, that that'd or, be really fun, yeah. Yeah, I mean, or even like Andy Stump or any of these guys, right? There's a lot of people that are getting into, you see a lot of carries over. It's, it's interesting. You see a lot of carryover between CrossFit, Jiu-Jitsu, and hunting. I see a lot of this carryover. Um, and so we should, we should talk to somebody, though, about these things because I'm surely not an expert on hunting. <laughs> I've never done it. And so it'd be nice to talk to these guys. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm far, far from an expert, even though I tried and failed last year. It was funny. So last year, I'll, I'll kind of wrap us up with this story. Um, you know, I, I had everything ready and I, I started buying, um, some deer corn. So all the, all my neighbors, what they do is they have a deer feeder and they mm. like condition the deer year round to, you know, and a deer feeder is essentially just an apparatus that'll spit out grains or corn or whatever at a given time of day. And it just trains the deer to like be at your property at a given time so that, you know, come hunting season, you reliably have deer there at a given time and you go out and, and, you know, get a deer. Um, but I didn't have a, a, a deer feeder. So what I was doing is I was going out at night and just like pouring some on the ground. Um, and it just like, it didn't work out well. And then whenever there were deer, because they would like run through to kind of get to my neighbors, like our dogs chase them away. Cause we have, you know, like dogs that are outside all the time. So it just, it, it wasn't an ideal situation at all, but this year, I'm a going to get a deer a feeder. Um, B I'm going to get, or, or probably get, I'm probably not going to build. Um, like I want to put up a little tree stand out in the mm. back far enough um, where like I can sneak out there and, and the dogs won't follow me. Um, so that's kind of my plan. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know how it goes. Dude, I think there's lots, of, like I said, there's so much to unpack there with what is legal to, you know, harvest, what is not, oh, what yeah. is, 
how there's do you process a- it? I mean, there's just so much. It's it's oh man, yeah. Yeah, we should let's 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 keep chatting about this because actually it could be a it could be an interesting podcast series of like, you know, beginners, you know, like lessons learned, right? Like like what would we do different? And I, I do think like the secret for me is identifying people that I know who really have an expertise in this and leaning on their expertise because I surely do not know what I'm doing. And this is not one of those things you could just kind of like like, you know, kind of mess around. It's it's you know, especially if my son has an interest, I want him to learn the best way from the beginning. Um, just like we've been doing with him and in firearms training with the local police department, you know, we've been taking him there for years, um, learning, learning that. So anyways, um, all right, well, Hey, Gabe, always love chatting with you. If you're, uh, you know, an athlete who wants to train with us, the same workouts we do on a regular basis, make sure you check out the NC fit app. And if you're a gym owner who loves listening to us chatting about this stuff, and you haven't checked out the NC Fit Collective, I think you're personally missing out on things. We are just launched with Push Press. We are through Wattify, we're through SugarWatt, and we have our own uh, NC Fit Collective app. And so if you're looking for the world's best session plans programming, make sure to check us out, the NC Fit Collective. Uh, keep training hard, keep getting after it, keep putting in the effort over everything, and uh, we'll see you guys again next week.